right. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Polymath Project. Today is Wednesday, August 16th. Wow. Coming to the end of the summer, 2023. Hope everyone's having an amazing summer. Um, really excited to invite and have on today one of my um, longtime colleagues going on a decade now and has also become a good friend, Steve oh. Powell, CEO and President of President's Council. Hey, man. Welcome. Hey, Armand. Good to see you. Likewise, likewise. I, I, I like your background, man. Is that uh, what, what, what you're what, what you got in Florida, right? Jupiter? South, South Florida, yeah. It's it's terrible here. Yeah, hot. <laughs> no, no. I'm just it, it's be, it's a beautiful place. Uh, this is this is not obviously not where I'm sitting, but it's it's nearby. So I, it's it's a peaceful little background that I like to use on on things like the Polymath Project, which I've been watching for quite a while. It's really nice to finally be a guest. Yeah, man. Listen, now we've been wanting to have you on. I know we've been working together for a while to give now to give the audience some context. Uh, Steve and I had first met. Uh, it's got to be a, a decade ago. Eight uh, years, actually. Yeah, yep. yeah. I, I think yeah. Uh, we started at one of the startups that I was involved in, uh, Adjustco. Actually, our first you know B Labs pilot project uh, had a product, uh, a neat little product called Adjustlock. We didn't have any relationships with, with the buyers. We knew we wanted to be in Home Depot and Lowe's and all the big guys. Went out to the National Hardware Show, came across Steve and President's Council. And um, man, I, I, want, I want the audience to hear from you. Tell us a little bit about the background. I know President's Council helped us get on the map and meet the people we needed to meet and learn a whole lot about what we needed to do better as far as packaging and process and all of that. So it was a tremendous education. And I think your organization um, obviously did a great job for us, and I know hundreds of others. So give us the background of President's Council. How did it start? What's your role in it? And what do you guys deliver? What's what's your value proposition? Sure, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is a bit of a convoluted, convoluted business model that, uh, you know, I, I've had uh, I've had girlfriends before and their families that think I'm a spy because it, it, they, I guess they kind of tune out when I'm halfway through the explanation. But uh, basically, uh, we are an organization within the global home improvement industry that brings buyers and sellers together. And the way that we do that for the most part is we have great relationships at the senior level with most of the major, pretty much all of the major uh, DIY home improvement stores worldwide that are big enough to take a full container shipment. Um, so it, it really started back in the, the late eighties as a place for the presidents of companies that when you're the president of a company across the supply chain, and this is just in, in home improvement for, for this, but it's it's true across any across any industry that, that the president is of the company is basically looked at to have all the answers, and this was a a, a really ch a chance to bring the presidents in in, in a kind of a more of a networking opportunity to talk about uh, solutions to, to to shared problems, those kinds of things in a non-competitive environment that was across the supply chain. So. That we did conferences and seminars and things like that, where it was, you know, that we, we provided some good content. This is back in the 80s and 90s. Um, and then the networking opportunities, for sure. We took the concept to uh, Europe, which is where the, the commercial part of it started back in, I think it was 1988. That was Don Miller. The, the, the uh, Miller Powell and Associates is, is, the, uh, is the controlling uh, company for President's Council. Anyway. So Don went over to, to, to Europe and he was coming in as president's council. I think most of the people thought he was somehow affiliated with like at the time it would have been H.W. Uh, Bush. So he got he got meetings with most of the major, um, at least in DIY, um, you know, president CEOs of, of the of the major European retailers who were very interested to talk to the, the Americans because the concept of big box home improvement really kind of started here. It grew out of 
of small hardware stores and lumber yards and evolved into today what we see as uh, the hardware stores evolved into the co-ops. The lumber yards kind of took a divergence. Some of them ended up being the pro store. Some some, some ended up um, really turning into the I mean, Lowe's and Home Depot's and, and, and that thing of, the, you know, those type of those type of uh, stores. So um, shortly thereafter meeting the Europeans that we, we came to the uh, the National Hardware Show, which at the time was in Chicago with a company called Castorama, who was, uh, I believe, is still either number one or two or number number one or number two in France and walked the show with them. They wanted to, us to see what their what their challenges were. And we realized right away that walking in here, we have. You know, one of the biggest retailers in the world. We're walking into a trade booth, and the the, the supplier is looking over his shoulder, looking for his local rep. He has no idea the opportunity that's standing in front of him. So, what they really wanted to do was be able to make these trade shows more effective and efficient for what they were trying to do. Identify the companies that were not only had interesting products that would sell in their markets, but were interested in selling into their you know into their geographic markets. So. Um, our our buying day program, which is kind of our base level program for President's Council for bringing buyers and sellers together, started as international, and then um, once the uh, the hardware show divided back in 2007, it moved uh, into also more domestic. So we do um, six to eight of these events a year. Uh, it's kind of you've been through them, Armand. It's kind of like speed dating for buyers. You, 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 we have all the buyer through our relationships at the senior level, we're able to bring in. Um, an entire buying team, whether if it's at their offices, sometimes the trade show, it's whoever's there, you know, covering the trade show for them. And you get uh, you know, 20 to 30 minutes to, you know, present your company, your marketing, your products, your basically get your compelling reason to buy out there and figure out what the next steps are. Um, and we, we really manage that straddling the line between buyer and seller, making sure both, both parties are, are happy with the end of it. And, and really what that means for the supplier typically is that, um, you leave with a with a with a clear indication of do I have an opportunity here, and if the answer to that is yes, what are the next steps? And we instruct the buyers and the merchants to that that is what they need to be able to to uh, to uh, tell them. Oh, and if there if there is no opportunity, identify the obstacle. That way, the suppliers can go back and change and, and figure out what they want to. You know, if they can if they can make changes and reapproach because now they have the contact information, they're in direct contact. Um, and if not, just quit wasting time with it and get on with your business and, and look for sales opportunities elsewhere. So uh, we also do um, some consulting on a very limited basis uh, for companies that are typically looking to either come into this channel from like sporting goods or grocery or something else where they have a product that crosses over or crossing over uh, geographic borders um, where we'll help Europeans or, you know, South American, wherever get into um, uh, the, the big retailers in Canada, U.S., a bit South America, and and uh, Western Europe. Sure. No. Well, look. I mean, that's, <laughs> no. That that that's amazing. And and I mean, again, I could speak from firsthand uh, experience to say that the the value proposition is absolutely worth it when companies, especially newer companies, are out there spending thousands of dollars going to shows, doing various forms of marketing. Other others of which are very important too. But ultimately, when you're going out to a trade show like we were you're really sitting there for three days hoping to attract in or yeah. trying to get that buyer from Home Depot or Ace to come to your booth. And that's not always a guarantee. Even if you've had some email and you've told them we're going to be here and they said, yeah, we'll, we'll stop by. doesn't mean, you know, you might've, you might've gone to the bathroom or out to lunch and they stop by and that's it. You, you don't, you don't get to meet that person. So to have that meeting 
um, is is invaluable. And I know for a just lock in particularly, it got us into Home Depot Canada. So I could speak yeah, on firsthand experience the, there. The, the trade shows I think are really great for uh, and and I mean every. I'm not poo-pooing trade shows at all. I think they are a, a, a invaluable um, asset to, to our industry and others. Problem is they're huge. And one of the, the really good things that you can do at a trade show um, and really what the, I think, I mean, these days, what is really your existing business and, and making sure that those buyers come in and, and you're, and you're forwarding, you're showing the new products, you're, you're cultivating that existing business, maybe some old contacts, what we do really is kind of reverse that, where instead of the the suppliers waiting for the retailer to come around, we sit the retailers down at a table and the suppliers come to them. So you're 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 definitely going to talk to them. I think, and that tends to be better for, you know, pioneering new, you know, trying to find new businesses to actually make sure that you're sitting down with them. And then, you know, I mean, you still have to do the trade show after that. You, you're 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 cultivating that, and you're you're working with the existing business and uh, and and moving those conversations down the line. But um, yeah, that's that's the reason we do these events. We do them at the National Hardware Show, at the Cologne Show, in which is called the Eisenwarn Messe, which is basically a little bit bigger than the National Hardware Show, but in Germany, that's a little bit more global. And then at retailers' offices, um, we do five or six of these per year. Whether it's uh, the ones we've got upcoming are Menards in November. It's November 9th. Um, you can visit presidentscouncil.com to take a look at if you're interested in talking to Menards. And then uh, Europe's leading DIY chain, which is Kingfisher. Oh. The, the major brand B and Q and Customerama for that we'll have that in uh, next month <clears throat> at 26th in Chicago. They're they're bringing a, a, their sourcing team in. So, yeah, we do a bunch of those a year. I, um, yeah, I, that, that's uh, there, there, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to get started. Um, ours is a little bit different, and you know, for our industry, I think there are there are some other uh, organizations that have kind of used that model. I think what we do really is. Like I said again, straddle that line and make sure that everyone is satisfied. Rather than, if 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 just a supplier is handling it, it tends to be a little bit too skewed toward uh, you know what they want. And the, sure. when the retailer, when it's just on them, they tend to to uh, to cancel a bunch of meetings that they probably should at least have a listen to. So it's our sure. it's our job to kind of straddle that line and make sure everybody's happy. Well, I know that you know again from from firsthand experience in, in helping you know startups deliver products into into markets where there's already existing players. Uh, there's always a protectionism, right? Like the brands that are established that own those planograms, they don't like to see new companies coming in trying to slice out, you know, a square of their of their real estate, you know, of their revenue, right? Yeah. And so, um, while you're always hearing from those VPs at the top at like the big stores, we want innovation, we want innovation. Down the chain, there's a lot of resistance. There's a lot of friction that we've found. So, yeah. do, do you agree with that? You know, yeah, absolutely. And 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 and. That that is where our relationships come into into play with at the at that senior management level. When we when we're scheduling these buying days, it's hard to get buyers to actually just clear their schedule for a day, especially all of them at once. And it really takes the VP of merchandising to say, "Hey, everybody's got to clear their schedule. We're we're looking at new products today." Um, and then even in our even in our project work, um, as we are helping suppliers, you know, we might do a, a, a twelve to eighteen month, you know project with a European supplier coming over to the US where we're actually taking them into the offices and sitting down with the buyers and the the supplier is is working with the the uh the buyer and following up in the meantime I'm following up with the person that we help you know the, the VP of merchandising to help organize these meetings to kind of help through that that uh that process where you know things may change 
a buyer is going to come in and try a new buyer might come in and try to change things up just for the sake yeah. of changing things up. So and yeah, that's the other thing. The buyers are changing all the time. Now, before we go further, Steve, I, I've got a, a couple of really good questions in mind. Um, I also want to yeah. be remiss if I didn't mention and welcome anyone who's joining us from LinkedIn Live. It's something new we're trying to do just to kind of offer in the middle of your workday, if you're if you're in the East Coast, uh, a little bit of material, you know, over lunch, something hopefully thought provoking that could stimulate ideas and help you, you know, in your business in any way. So welcome to uh, to any number of people that are joining us uh, from LinkedIn Live, otherwise, you know, through Zoom uh, and and what and other channels uh, as well. So so thank you and, and welcome to the audience. And if you have any questions for Steve. In particular, we're going to be here within the hour for sure. Um, please just submit them through the comments in LinkedIn, um, and and I'll I'll try to get those questions relayed uh, to Steve here. Um, so with that said, Steve, um, so it's a very interesting position you're in to kind of, as you said, straddle that fence. You're seeing all these ideas. Some are good. Some maybe not really so good or acceptable. Um, I guess the the market will determine that. And then you've got these buyers and VPs that are trying to encourage them. Hey, bring me something new. Let's find innovation. Um, so, um, what? With that said, I'm sure you've seen and you've kind of gotten a pulse about like, hey, you're hearing from buyers what they want to see. Like, do, do you get a lot of that? Like, hey, we'd like to see more tech solutions, or we'd like like so that you could cater. Then, what kind of companies you try to put in front of them? Do, do you get that kind of input? Yeah, what one of the things we do in each one of the buying days is is ask each one of the buyers to fill out an evaluation, um, and it's it's pretty simple. Just you know, beforehand or after the fact, after their meeting, after okay, after okay. after each meeting. So right, they're, right, they're right. Each supplier, and really, it's on a level of interest to one from one to five. Um, one being this was a waste of my time. Five being these guys are really good. We should be able sure. to move forward with this. And this is before you're getting into the price negotiations and all that kind of stuff. So uh, this is just you know, was this you know, was this 20 minutes worth your time? Was, do you think there's an opportunity here? And over the course of, oh my God, uh, it's what, 25, 30 years, uh, we've been tracking these things. And like I said, it's, it's some years is five of them, some years is eight of them. Um, It's about 53% that are fours and fives. So every 40 minutes, a, a, a supplier or a buyer is seeing something he's never seen before that he finds really interesting. And, and where it goes from there, you know, we're, we're working on, it's a registration fee for the event. We're not getting commissions, so we're not. We don't really necessarily know what happens, other than anecdotal things. People saying, "Steve, you got to be in Menards. Thank you so much." We don't. We don't get a whole lot of that, but um, yeah, that's uh, more towards your question about you know what's what's happening in the industry. You know, as far as um, not just product but trends, a lot of what's happening, especially very recently. Um, with the global supply shortage that happened, you know, what was it, a year and a half ago, a lot of major retailers, especially from the U.S. and Europe, are looking to diversify where their products are coming from. So they're looking to get less dependent on Asia because they kind of figured out they had too many eggs in that one basket. And when there was a disruption there, they left them with out of stocks and that's lost sales. Yeah, As good as home improvement did through the pandemic, they could have done better. Um, so that that has been... A, a real big trend if you're if you're producing or even stocking product in either the US or Europe somewhere outside of Asia there's a there's an increased recent bias towards those kinds of products just just for the simple fact of of diversify, diversification and it's not necessarily having to take over their number one you know if it's if you're trying to sell you know 
any major category through Kingfisher. You might not be their primary source. They've got sources all over the world, and they. Uh, but you may be a secondary source where they're going to be able to to carry your product on on some kind of a basis, and then be able to ramp up into larger things when there's out of stocks and things like. They just want to be able to balance their 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 supply equation a little bit better. Right. Which right. creates and, a and, 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 people and, that aren't just producing and trying to ship from Asia. Right. And and you wrote a, a very nice uh, a thought piece on this that we shared, you know, with our audience, uh, you know, over the last couple of weeks where you had these these five trends. So that was the first one. Can you maybe touch on some of the others um, that you see here? And we could we could rap about it as well, because I know some of them entail, you know, marketing and, and omni-channel and things of that nature. But yeah, what what are you seeing over the next few years here? Obviously, that trend has already started, the one you just mentioned. Uh, with it, with the sourcing, um, what what else do you see? Yeah, I mean, the, the other one that 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 nobody wants to talk about is the is the the theft problem that is that is popping up, and and more and more retailers are getting really concerned with this because uh, they have very generous refund policies. And I mean, every week you're hearing on that if you if you listen to the news, you're hearing about you know somebody that's gotten busted trying to doing some kind of a scam with you know returning stuff to Home Depot that they didn't buy and and things like that. So that's a it's a bit of a political thing as well that right. you don't want to get too far into because we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but it's definitely a, a source of, of hand wringing for retailers. Um, the other one really is the sustainability um, that, that, that keeps coming up. And this is something that um, again, this could get political, um, yeah. but for the, for the moment it is uh, it, it's customer driven and more of a marketing than a than a if it if it becomes law then it's going to be completely different and and but the 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 basic solution to when people say sustainability because it's not really all that well defined yet um there are kind of it's that you can look at it as the 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 waste from the packaging and those kinds of things that that are pretty easily solvable at least sure. from if, if when the when the retailer and the and the supplier are working together to try to reduce some of the things if you look at Europe as an example customers can leave the packaging in the store and the, the retailer has to do with it so they've been reducing packaging for years over there the other uh yeah i mean the <laughs> the other issue with uh if it gets down to trying to find the providence of each particular component of each product, which it did with lumber a long time ago. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that there was a, a group called the Rainforest Action Network yep. that would protesting Home Depot stores back in the late nineties and stuff. They were demanding, and this is kind of what, where the, the, the further, the, the further side of this goes is demanding that providence. And it, it's tough though. The, 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 the suppliers aren't really, a, they don't really want to share that with the retailer necessarily because right. they're afraid they're going to go around them and try to get to their source and just yeah, competitive push them advantage. Yeah, and and B, that it's uh it's difficult to measure ROI on on sustainability, which is not all that well defined. So the retailers are the solution to the to the providence thing is to really be able to to really integrate the the, the supplier and the retailer in into where everything's coming from, and and it's a it's a massive uh undertaking um i think that's going to have to become law to, to, yeah. to, to really kind of push through um on the on the other side of it on the lighter side of it where you're just kind of trying to deal with uh waste and pollution and stuff the retailers are going to do what they always do they're going to push all the responsibility down the suppliers and say you guys handle it so yeah. it, it's it's coming you, you which might is as well a lot, which is a lot of pressure especially for the smaller suppliers i mean if you're a bigger supplier you might be able to you know 
uh, absorb that in some kind of way. And, you know, you have your department that could study that and figure it out. But for smaller companies, I mean, that could be that could be a crushing blow, you know, if yeah, even for the bigger companies. How do you how do you measure? I mean, it, it's it's not a you can't measure it against loss or against increased sales because it's a marketing expense, but it's, but it's almost a damage control marketing. So there's not yeah. a real uh, uh, obvious way to, to measure that, which is tough for, for companies. Yeah. I think, I mean, my two cents on that, and this is a way of kind of like, I don't know if it's straddling the fence. Cause I mean, I definitely, um, I value the issue and, and I, you know, I support the concepts um, of just kind of sustainability and, and just, yeah. Uh, yeah, to take let's take care of the planet, right? Yeah. Uh, while we're doing business and making money and doing all the things, which is all fine, uh, let's also take care of the planet within reason um, uh, for each each person's responsibility. I think the answer, part of the answer, is it's it's brand centric. If you want to build a brand, that's all. Like I, I got some shoes when I was in Milan last year when I was in the airport. This this very cool brand, never seen it before. It's like European Italian brand. Uh, called Boji, B-O-G-G-I. And I was like, this is a cool store. And I got some sneakers and some other things. And then their whole packaging inside talked about how every part from the lace to the rubber to everything was like where it was from and kind of what you're talking about there. And I mean, look, I didn't buy the sneakers necessarily because of that. But after I got them, I was like, oh, this is cool. No wonder these sneakers were 20% more expensive than I thought. So look, if you're, if you want to see that's the rub, that, right? Uh, yeah. That's the rub is you don't, I mean, it, it didn't, it didn't influence your situation, your, your decision. So, I mean, it, that it's, it, it, if but someone, for some, people it might, though, for some people, if, some people, it might, and if they're yeah. willing to pay for that, then I think that's where brands have to decide, but I think it's better for brands to decide as opposed to being forced you know yeah. in my opinion i think well, it's like, the, 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 the customer's driving this so the, if the customer's yeah. going to drive the retailer the retailer is going to push it i mean it's a, it's a you know some stuff rolls downhill <laughs> yeah that's true and if you tell the customer okay you want it that way like again you want the org like I, you know me i like the organic you know yeah. smoothies and i want the source for my food i want the source you know and i'm willing to pay 30 percent more for the organic non-GMO smoothie and juice and food period. And with right. food, it's going to go in my body. I'm willing to pay and I know it's going to cost more. So I just think it's, if the customer's demanding that and they're willing to pay more because they understand that it's going to cost more, um, then I don't see the problem. You know, I think, like you said, the problems come when it's possibly going to be imposed on people that maybe can't afford it or don't, don't know how to quantify it. Could put them out uh, of business. Until, in, in, in my opinion, anyway, until until laws come into effect on this kind of stuff, it's more of a marketing, uh, more more of a marketing play than it is anything else. Right. And then you're, you know, if, if you're forced into it, then the the R, measuring ROI isn't that you, you got to do it anyway. It's it, right. It, but at this point, it's tough to measure. It, it's tough to. It's a tough investment to make when you can't measure it. Sure. As, as any investment is when you can't measure it. So that's, sure. uh, and I, like I said, this is, that's, it's a, it's a difficult subject to get into and I, I don't have a solution for it. No, but, I know, I know, but, but it's but a good problem. tell people is if you're a manufacturer, it's getting pushed down on you. Just expect that. Right. True, <laughs> true. And I think to take an example from a different market real quick, and then we'll move on is look at the auto market, right? It's like, if you're going to be Tesla or if you're going to be even BMW or anyone, you, you decide and, and like some of them go all in like Tesla all in electric and, 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 you know, the environment and others are like, you know, they have their hybrids, they have their electric and they're keeping, you know, it's like they're keeping that diversification. And um, I, hey, I hear you, but the, 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 the other manufacturers aren't getting government subsidies to do it. 
Right. That's true. That, that makes that decision a hell of a lot easier. True. True, true, true point. Um, okay, cool. So t- take us through another couple of these trends that that you're seeing and that you think are important for for you know up and coming product companies to to consider as they're trying to you know get into the market, you know, establish their brand. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if there. I mean, I'm not sure if there's any real specific trends that'll help with that. We can talk a bit about you know just the the general uh, process of buying. Yeah, let's yeah, let's get let's get into that. Let's get into that. Yep. And it can it can be different. There are a lot of different. I've always I always try to 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 help suppliers understand that you really need to understand you need to to be empathetic, and this is why Polymath is is a, is a great uh, uh, forum for this. You need to understand. Put yourself in the in the merchant shoes and and figure out. You know, understand their business. Understand what motivates that merchant to to make decisions to be able to to really uh, you know like we like to to get in there and really grow and 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 help. What you want to do is make your 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 merchant a hero and help them grow their business. Um, and think about it in terms of not what you want to sell, but in, in terms of what's going to help them. Um, most people are going to start if they're if they're going into a channel or a, in, in you know into a geographic market. And you're going to start with a trade show. Um, it, it's a good place to start. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, there are there are a f- kind of a few different ways. There's there's your your big national trade shows. National Hardware is one that I you know. There, but there's you know the Computer Electronics Show. All those all those big shows, um, which are valuable. It, they are crowded. Uh, the the Getting share of attention from a merchant can be difficult. You you got to lure them into your booth, hope it's the right person. Um, it can be very helpful, um, but it's also uh, hard to manage. And, and it, like you said before, you're kind of just kind of hoping somebody comes into your booth. The one kind of step removed from that is, um, at least with a lot of distributors, if you're, if you're working with two steps in our industry, you know, Ace and True Value and Do It Best and those kinds of stores have vendor shows. These are different. This is you actually have to be invited to come into these things by the retailer. Uh, a lot of times they'll actually have some. They'll, they'll take at least a small bit, a bit of your product into their warehouse to be able to service the shows. But this is where the the dealer, the the distributors putting on the show, and their customers, which are the store owners or the the people that are responsible for these independent stores, are coming in and actually placing orders at the show. You should not expect that at a big show. If you get it, great, but it's that is the kind of the exception that proves the rule. Um, yeah. you're making contacts there, you're starting you're starting dialogues at the at the vendor show, the dealer shows. You're actually getting orders. Um, it's expensive. Um, it is. They will admit it is a profit center as well as a sourcing uh, forum for them. Um, but if you get invited to them, it can be extremely productive. Um, the buyer's not inviting you; he's not inviting you there just to make money for for you know you know whatever it is three to eight k. Um, he's he's there expecting that there are there going to be orders placed, and you know the, the, as you place more orders, let me back that up a little bit. If if you're talking to a big box retailer, and they're not entirely sure that this is a absolute home run they might invite you for a test market where maybe oh. they put you to 30 stores to see how it does for a certain period of time if you hit benchmarks that on sales that they want you to hit then they'll it'll be written in the contract that, that then that puts you in their inline business and, they, and you're you're on the shelf 
with a, uh, a co-op or a distributor, they don't really have that kind of authority at the store level because you have store owners rather than store managers. So they, what, they, what they'll do to kind of test the waters and not just test the waters, this is also for existing suppliers, but they'll, they'll invite you to one of these shows where you actually have a chance to prove yourself. Um, so if you if you get into enough of the stores and stuff, that that's a that's a pathway into getting more into the into the uh, the warehouses and then actually getting some of their national advertising, which which then they can force you into the stores and and get you know nationwide with uh, you know three thousand stores or whatever. Yeah. They have. No, and we've been we've been you know we've been down that road with with a Just Lock with with Orgill was the first and they got their two a year and then Do It Best and others um, and. Um, you know, while, while I know your expertise is, you know, it been in, you know, hardware and DIY, um, you know, uh, as you know, you know, I, I had the electronics product with, with Exeter technologies back in the day. So as you said, the, every industry has a version of this, you know, um, and I've seen now in several industries that process happen in somewhat of a similar fashion, although every industry has its, its nuances and, um, one way or another, as we said before, there's always resistance. Like it takes a while to get into the warehouse and whatnot because, because there's other guys in there. It's like there's politics, right? And that's why you kind of have to, it, it, there's a staying power that has to happen. You don't show up at one or two trade shows and think we're done, we're in. It's like, no, you want to be in this business, get in this industry, get to know people. I mean, look, you guys have spent 40 years fostering those relationships. Yeah, if, if for a supplier, especially if you're going into a foreign, foreign market, they want to see that your that your feet are on the ground there. You know, often enough, they don't want it. Uh, and we are back to the shows a little bit. We are yeah, talking yeah. about new stuff, and, and that is just a little bit different. We, we typically do those. That is meant to. The original intention of that was to to make the show better for the buyers. Um, right. It turns out making it better for the suppliers too. But um, all the, while I think it's a. I mean, I'm obviously biased, <laughs> but I think it's it's the best way to get in. Um, it doesn't completely replace trade shows and, and those kinds of you. you we, we do them at trade shows. We do them at at, at buyers' offices. Um, but the intention, uh, the the trade show is, it's changing, but um, it, it's still an invaluable tool for for getting into the started market. But that is a first step, and and you know, you, you get that first step and then, you know, now where are you? You, you got a, you got a contact or you, you had a good, uh, you know, meeting now, now you're being asked for a, you know, typically um, they're going to, they have to have a look at your product. You've, you've given them some kind of sample pricing on what the, it might be MSRP. It might be, they might have to ask you for, you know, net, net FOB type of quotation. Um, so you, you, preparing the price quotation is 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 kind of the next step usually sending samples and and getting that quote in and what i tell people is be prepared when you're we're coming to either it's, whether it's a buying day or a uh, or a trade show you haven't even started negotiating yet so the two things that i would be prepared for is what you think the msrp should be and hmm. keep in mind that you need to build it keep you need to manage your channels um and by the channels i mean big box uh, in, independent stores, you know, smaller stores, um, and a bit with the online. Um, and I'm not talking about like whether it's, you know, if it's target online, that's, that's one thing. If you're talking about an online only, or even if we're, we're talking into the, some of the, the discounters like uh, Costco or, or Sam's club, they work on different margins. Yeah. And what the, what the buyer does not want to see is the same product 
at, at another channel that's cheaper than what he can offer, offer it for. Yeah, or you're selling it on your own website for cheaper. Than you that's that's no no. Protect yourselves. You know, build yeah. it. You know, know what those margins are. Know what you know. You, 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 what you know if it's it's all over the place. Whether you know, yeah. depending, and we can get into that a little bit a little bit later on. But it, it's all a, a Gimroy calculation on margins and turns. But you want to be sure that you are leaving enough margin in there for the retailers to survive when you're selling it outside of brick and mortar. Um, right. Now, right. if it's if it's if it's a retailer that has an online site that usually takes care of itself, but I mean Amazon's the one that uh, and it, I mean it used to be this. If you talk to Europe, um, they're concerned with Aldi, um, just as we're concerned with Costco here, where they're going to work on you know fourteen points, which nobody can compete with. That's why you see a lot of the bulk stuff, and you keep it away from apples to apples is is the way to right. kind of manage that. Um, you oh, talked a little bit about transition strategy as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the things as you're negotiating with the buyers is uh, if you are replacing an existing supplier and taking their shelf space away from them, they may ask for a buyout. That there, there are there are transition strategies. You got that, all this inventory. If I want your stuff, you got to buy out this. Yeah. What are we gonna? You know, how are we gonna deal with this? And it's tough. I mean, that's a tough pill to swallow. Um, there's always, you know, they. There are other things that retailers can do to get rid of that stuff. They can discount, sure. they can, but um, it, it like everything else, it can get pushed on the supplier and just kind of be be prepared if when you're quoting net 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 um, FOB, especially to uh, you know a, a major chain retailer. Um, there are programs that they're probably going to want you to be involved in, and these are good programs to be in. It's gonna it's gonna increase your turns. It's gonna increase your sales. It's gonna make sure that the buyer doesn't get stuck with your inventory like he was stuck with your predecessor's inventory. Um, it's just a, you know, a matter of keeping, you know, depending on the retailer, somewhere between like eight and 15% back in your hip pocket, just to make sure that you can take advantage of those programs and not mess yourself on the, on the margin. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this whole pricing strategy, especially for someone newly coming into the market, um, with, with a product, let's say some kind of innovation that might not have, it's not always easy with an innovation to know what's the right price point, unless it's like, like you said, replacing a very similar type of item. Um, but what else What else do, let's say, entrepreneurs, uh, new product developers, inventors need to consider when pricing? Like, are there any other hidden costs that they need to be aware of? Because it's hard to go back once you quote a price. It might be great for sales, but then you realize, oh, man, after we make it and ship it and do all this stuff and all these uh, there are some other hidden fees, maybe a few things people there, should I mean, there, there can be, you'll, 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 you'll see like loyalty programs and new store opening fees and central billing fees, defective item allowances. That's usually a, not more than like 1% or so. Um, opening order discounts. There's, there's marketing and ad uh, monies that they're going to want. They, they will um, rebates is, is on the, on the flip side of that rebates is something that a lot of the, the uh, that's more to the stores, but um, yeah. That's yeah. I mean, it's always helpful to keep to keep some back on that, just to just to just to kind of and and it's different for big boxes as it is for. I mean, the other, the other thing to to keep in mind is, and I'm getting a little bit ahead into the to the okay. turn on investment stuff, but well, let's let's just jump into that now. That the buyers are typically evaluated and 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 bonuses are paid on their their gimroit their gross margin return on investment some type of evaluation of that now where it's a it's a big box that might include um some type of a metric on sales per square foot 
where the distributors, it's going to be, you know, it's, it, it's, that, that's not going to be so much, but the, 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 the key takeaway there is that it's going to really affect your, uh, the, the two things that are going to have an effect on that are margins and turns. Margins is what you're, what we're just getting into there. What, what you, you know, your selling price to, you know, what they're buying it at and what they get the margin on in turns is a little bit more, you're, you're going to negotiate the margin and you're going to, you know, you get the best you can, you know, you figure um, about probably 15% higher uh, figure in for, if you're, you know, calculating the, 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 uh, the shelf price for um, right. independent stores rather than big box. Um, but one of the, one of the things that, that a lot of suppliers don't really think about is because uh, they get so focused on what they want to sell is making the buyer a hero on, on the turns. Mm. Uh, and there's two ways to accomplish that. A is driving sales. And I think that, um, Let's back up on that just a bit because uh, I want to get your thought on that. Um, the other is uh, is inventory. Um, if the be- the better you can do on just in time shipments and stuff, the more the less they're keeping in inventory at any any particular time helps the buyer look like a hero. Now, mm. so he might he might ask for you know direct to store deliveries when it doesn't make sense to you, but he's doing that for a reason, and it, it's best to even if even if you do the calculation, it doesn't make sense. Um, and, you, and you end up pushing them back into the to the uh, DC deliveries. Um, it's something that he needs to explore. So you know, help them out. Um, and integrating and, and getting the, the the smaller shipments, anything you can do to reduce their sitting on inventory makes that buyer look like a hero, and that and that affects his his gimroy and his bonus and all that kind of stuff. So hmm. um, really taking that stuff into account, and and you know, and back to the 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 other issue on that, I think really. A lot of suppliers think that the sale is done when they've when the when the buyer gives them the purchase order and now they've shipped the products and now it's on the buyer's hands, and that it is a really foolish way to go about it. You need to mm. you need to make that buy. You need to get that product off their shelves. It's it's, it's much the suppliers' responsibility as the retailers. And I think that with today's technology, and it's a lot of the stuff that your Blue Liner Group does, uh, they can reach the the the, the customer independently of that and really kind of push them in the right direction and, and drive them into the stores. And at least when they're in the stores, um, you know, make them get in the more information and, 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 and fulfill that sales proposition um, as a supplier, rather than just hanging on the retailer. Yeah. And I mean, you can talk more about, about what is possible for a supplier as far as, you know, um, you know, uh, go ahead. I mean, yeah, uh, no, listen, absolutely. Well, well, your article, your article spoke to it really eloquently, you know, citing the percentage of sales that are uh, not just influenced by mobile technology and people on their phones, but um, influencing sales that then get transacted in the store or just direct online purchasing. And um, any, any big box, you know, um, retailer that we've talked to or met with over the last five years what scares them the most is Amazon and online, anything online. So it's like, it's like it scares them, but they realize they have to also compete and, and offer value add there as well. So it's 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 a bit of it's become a bit of the wild west. And I think you're right. The buyer's got a thousand or two thousand products to look after. If you're an inventor, you're a supplier, all these terms we're using, manufacturer, it's simultaneous, it's their equivalent terms, synonymous. You've got one product three products. So, you know, your job's not done. Um, that's why you got to keep going to the shows. That's why you have to have a website, which may or may not have e-commerce. You could sell direct. 
if you're willing and able to really put a marketing program together to sell direct or having a store locator is a great idea, right? On your app, on your website that says, hey, you could find us at these 37 do it best stores or, you know. That's a, that, that, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, so put yourself in the, in the, in the you're, you're talking to a supplier that just got a, a test with, you know, whomever, Target, and they're in the, in the 30 stores. What can you do as a as a digital marketing company to help drive those the, those thirty stores to really kick it in those sales? And, Absolutely. And it, well, and I mean, first and foremost, you want you yeah you want those you want those zip codes right? Okay, give us the thirty stores, the zip codes, and then let's run you know a little radius like geo targeting radius of let's say twenty miles, ten to twenty five miles outside of each store. A there's lists that could be acquired of actual homes and names and addresses for some direct mailers that can be done. That's direct mail is a little expensive and in like the non-digital side, but it's still plausible. Now, similarly, okay, you got direct mail. Now let's append phone numbers. Let's append email addresses. So these are people who live outside of those 25 uh, or whatever it is, 30 stores within striking distance. Um, and we could even append, okay, this person's already a member of, let's say it's Target or whoever the retailer is. Right. And without even working with the retailer, you can acquire that type of information. And then you can also work campaigns. So, my suggestion at a high level would be like, let's create some meaningful content and offers. Right. Like, here's the product, it's the inventor, almost like a mini commercial, 30, 60 seconds. Let's create it in multiple video formats. Let's start doing some geo targeted advertising. On it could be TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, you know, Facebook, probably not LinkedIn, but more, more, whatever the, the right demographic is within the different networks. Um, and then start driving the offer. How excited will the buyer be? It's like, wow, you guys are actually doing some ads, driving people to either the store locator page on your website, which points to our store, or directly to some offer, or because it's a localized ad in a particular town. You're just giving someone, hey, get it at Target. Here's the address. Click here to get it now before we're out of stock or whatever the offer is, the compelling offer to, to get them in because there might be a special deal, a two for one, whatever it might be. So th those are some of the simple things. I mean, maybe not so simple, but certainly doable within, let's say, a one-month campaign that can be set up. Those geo-targeted lists acquired. Again, all this requires some budget. You have to have an expert or experts, you know, like, you know, agencies like Blue Liner that can actually do that. Um, and then you have to have a bit of a budget to advertise. And then the beauty is that it's all very measurable, though. We got to create some kind of QR code or some kind of offer strategy that when they do the redemption and the purchase in the store, it can track back to, to that particular offer. They, they have it on their phone or they, they have some kind of um, incentive to communicate that it's because of this campaign that it that I went to buy the product. Uh, and then you show it to the buyer when you have your quarter. Yeah, exactly. You, you come in with me, you, you come in with this as your plan in the initial meeting and you're saying, this is what I'm going to do to, you're not going to get stuck with this product. I'm going to help you move it off your shelves. And you're, you're taking, I mean, anything you can do to mitigate the risk that the buyer is taking is it, it, make him look like a hero and take away his risk. You're making it a lot easier to say yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's interesting. I just thought about it now, uh, but uh, this has come into play before where we've utilized this. You can use that as part of your negotiation with the buyers as they're pushing right. back on price and 
co-op and all that. Well, we're going we're gonna to take on this responsibility. And, and because of that, we need to make sure to protect these margins a little bit because that's how we're going we're gonna to pay for those ads. And we have the experts that can impl implement it. And um, obviously, if you, have any, if you have any past experience with that, that could show the case studies from past work you've done, past campaigns, other engagements, that's always more convincing. But if you don't, you've got to put a, um, a, um, a reasonable plan together, something that people, you know, the buyers know they've seen a lot of this, right? And they know which of their suppliers does good marketing to support them and support the, what's the word you use? Turnover, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're talking to, when you, when, it's, it's a great part of negotiation because again, the buy, in the buyer's mind is the Gimroy, the, the, and that's about margins and about turns. As you are explaining to him how you're going to, to, to increase his turns, there's the prices on the margins. And you, you can expect a little bit higher margin if you're going to increase his turns. And that's acceptable as long as it all comes down to the number he needs to hit. Right. Um, that you're, you're absolutely right. That's a, that's, that's a way to, 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 uh, to, to negotiate better pricing. Um, and, but obviously you're going to be spending some money to, to, to do it, but you don't, you don't want to be one and done. Right. The, the point here is to, is to, is to, is to, it's, I heard, I had, I had, to really grow within the retailer, to get in there and, and become a, a part of his company that is integral and that, that they can't get rid of. Um, and, and normally, you know, over the course of time, and I've been this at this for quite a long time, you can see from the gray, um, you keep an account for, you know, a typical retail account you're going to keep for seven to eight years. Yeah. So as you're, as you're doing your um, calculations on what you think the, the, uh, the total value of this account is, you know, and, and feeding in all the stuff you're going to have to spend to get it, that's what you should be looking at somewhere and, and you know, you're going to keep it for seven to eight years. And then after that, after that, everything's gravy. Um, if you can keep it for longer, a lot of people can, a lot of people keep it for shorter because, you know, of whatever reason, but the, the, the average seems to be about seven to eight years. That's a good, Hey, look, that could be a really good amount of business and, and, and a pathway yeah. bridge to, to many other that your next product or your next set of deals um, and just learning how to do that type of business. So, so the summary of a lot of what you're saying I'm taking away is really learning how to think like a buyer and understanding what their buttons are and what's going to make them look good, you know, to their boss, to their company, and and, and really to the bottom line. It's got to be win-win. Um, but I Anytime think- Anytime you're negotiating, you have to have empathy for the person. You have to be able to look at things from their point of view to be able to, yeah. to give them what they need to say yes. Right. And, and I just, I want to say, you know, for our audience also, I mean, we're- talking a lot about this engagement with with buyers and, and selling through through retailers and that's you know our main topic today but um, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that a lot of these marketing tactics we're talking about to promote your product can also be employed to sell directly and to promote how sure. you can sell your brand uh, as another channel because you know channel management uh, is important and I know that's one of the topics that that you're an expert in so I want to I want to move into that next but as part of that, Absolutely. And why not at least conceive of a direct sales strategy? Now, sometimes people think, oh, that's great because when I sell direct, I can sell at that MSRP. And it's like, yes, you can or, or near it. You have to make sure you don't undercut your, your other channels. But that all of that extra margin, that's your marketing budget. You got to figure out how to use that to do some of the things we talked about before, how to drive that demand. B2C marketing and advertising is very pricey, but with all this technology, it's becoming more and more targetable and targeting is, is available in, in every kind of sector, every kind of age group, 
uh, worldwide. So, so there's some amazing opportunities in digital, but again, it takes the real expertise. You know, you kind of have to have part of it in-house and then part of it likely through agencies and, and other experts that can um, team up with your in-house marketing minds. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how big you are. If you've already got a team that's doing it, then that's one thing. But if you're a startup, um, I, I'm biased because I've worked with you before. I, I think Blue Leonard, did, when we did the Adjusco stuff, you guys did a great job with that. So I, I would, I have absolutely no hesitation in, in recommending Blue Liner for, for that kind of stuff. You talked a little bit about the channel stuff. Uh, the channel, really, it's about differentiation. Um, it, it's possible to sell all the different channels, but you you just have to be mindful that they can give them an opportunity to to make their money in their channel. So if you're selling to, you know, Walmart, one item, whatever you're selling to Target needs to be different. Um, otherwise, it's going to come down to, it's you're going to commoditize it. So whether that's a different brand, um, different uh, different product, different design, find some way that the customer isn't going in there and saying, oh, this is X here and it's X minus five here and what, you know, I'm out of here. And then now your buyer's mad at you and you're, you're not going to, that's not sustainable. You, you need to, uh, especially with, with different channels working on different margins, you have to be very aware of that. Um, like you talked about, especially with the, uh, with the, with your, if you're selling on your own, um, if you're going to sell what, if you're going to sell the brand that you're selling in retail on your own at a lower margin, you're going to lose your retail business. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. they're not going to want to compete with you. Yeah. So. And we talked about that with one of the, you know, not to be named, you know, one, one of the fashion brands we were brainstorming about that, that had a, a lot of great different product, but to sell in a different channel, just, just give them a different line, give them a special line, something different, something unique uh, that doesn't compete. And that's, that's not always easy to do, but that's, I think, part of an effective strategy that I know you were recommending that. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't even have to be drastically different. It just has to be a little bit different. Um, just, you know, just, just to create a, a little bit of, you know, uh, differentiation. Um, yeah, that's great. Well, I, I, I've got, I know we're, we're, we're kind of rounding out, Steve. I mean, it's great. I know we can, we can talk forever. So hopefully you no, know, I know. <laughs> the audience here has found it interesting. There's a couple of questions came in. I'll see how many I can get to here. Well, first of all, um, as far as buying upcoming buying days, I'm not sure if your website, you know, has the updated ones or if not, where can, where can listeners get, um, the updated uh, list of upcoming buying days. Just, I mean, if you if you want, just send me an email. There, there might be some stuff on the on the on the site that needs a little work. Um, you know, we're, uh, we're 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 hardware guys. We're not uh, web designers. So, <laughs> uh, the 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 uh, Kingfisher event is September twenty sixth in Chicago. Um, it's going to be at a hotel near O'Hare Airport, so it's really easy in and out. And Menards is going to be November 9th up at their offices in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. If you want any information on that, just send me an email. It's spowell, S-P-O-W-E-L-L at presidentscouncil.com. I'll get you the direct link on, on where that, that, to be warned, that the Kingfisher is sending over um, about six of their international sourcing merchants. They're not covering every product. Um, so like uh, plumbing and electrical, are, the, 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 the buyers are not coming over. I don't, they, they may not even have people in place for that, but so it's, including most products, but not all. And I've got it kind of listed in there and what's included in, in, in each category and what's not. Menards is right at their offices. Well, they had their whole team there. Okay. Okay. Um, thanks I'll for that. To get the website fixed as soon as possible. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, no, it's great. It's great that people are asking. And those, those sound like two very exciting shows. Um, and I like Menards. I know sometimes they could be, you know, 
controversial in certain ways, but they I, I like what they do. And obviously, they're, so what the, they are, they are tough to get into. But once you're in there, they are great to work with. Yeah, that has been, you know, we've, we've helped, you know, dozens of companies get into Menards. And that's what they all say is, you know, tough not to crack. But once you get in there, it's good business. Great. Good to know. And um, one last question. What are your thoughts on um, on SEMA and, and APEX? There's these uh, shows. I don't know if those are shows you you deal with or know too much about. Or I don't know much about those at all, um, to be yeah. to be honest. Uh, I, I, those are not familiar to me, which probably makes me think they're okay. not. Okay. Well, it's um, I'm looking I'm looking it up. The question came in. And well, one of them, well, that's what, why these are more automotive related. So um, it, it sounded so familiar when he mentioned SEMA, because that's that's one of the auto shows that we had taken um, Exeter Technologies in our Park Zone um, products. And back Farm in the day, so more familiar. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so um, man, it's been a while since I've been at those shows. That question came in from, from one of the audience members. But I do remember, in addition to CES, uh, the SEMA show was very effective for us to get in front of um, same type of conversation we're having about the DIY market on the uh, automotive. And particularly, we were in automotive electronics. Um, and man, that was 20 years ago when we were doing that with Exeter Technologies and doing some of the first smart car um, types of tech. And nowadays, as we know, automotive and electronics is like hand in hand. Everything's a smart something or another. So, um, yeah. If, I, if I'm going to offer one piece of advice for those major shows, and I would include the Eisenware Messer and, and, and the hardware show in this is don't go in with just, you know, we're going to put up our, our banner and, and hope people come by, do as much work on the front end. If they've got like, you know, buyer matching programs that are available, take advantage of them, you know, try to try to get the word out, whether it's, you know, do some social media, uh, blitzing beforehand, um, tr try to drive traffic, it's the same, same as what we're talking about with the retail. Don't count on the show to drive traffic to your booth. Drive it yourself. Um, do as much as you can to set up meetings during the show. And, and I mean, know that people aren't going to make those meetings necessarily, at least not on time. The, the shows tend to stretch everyone's, the, the schedules get blown out of the water. But um, the more you can do on the front end before the show, the better the show is going to be for you. Yeah, agreed. No, I agree. I mean, it's always... There's the pre-show, there's at the show, and then there's post-show. And it's like three, three phases. And usually the post-show, when everyone's tired and, you know, kind of we've talked about with different shows, we've all attended over the last six months. You've got the stack of business cards, these leads, and people need follow-ups. They need the information that you promised them. And um, that's that's a big part of the discipline. Um, we're, um, we do have some more questions coming through, but we're, we're running out of time. So, Steve. I, uh, I, I see one here from Scott McVeigh. Scott, just, just send me an email. We, we can talk about Menards. I understand what you're, what you're talking about here. Um, and I can, I can talk you through that real quick. Great, great. Yeah, no, Steve, uh, you're, you're an unbelievable resource, you. And I know, send my best to your dad as well. I know he founded the organization with, with a partner and you're, you're the heir apparent if you've taken it on and, and made it your, your, you know, career and um, it's just pearls of wisdom, you know, coming out of you. So any additional questions that didn't get answered, um, I'll make sure to share them with Steve, make sure to leave us, you know, your email address, either in the LinkedIn comments or uh, in whatever fashion you got um, introduced to this, um, this podcast. Uh, Steve, thanks for your time, man. We'll see you soon. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. All right. Cheers. <laughs>